Today's episode of the City of Smack podcast on the City of Smack podcast network is brought to you by Backline Running. They are a Brooklyn-based active lifestyle and sportswear company. They're a family-owned small business that was started by two brothers back in 2008, drawing from their athletic experience as rugby players and runners. Over the years, the Backline team has grown to include a female partner and other collaborators as it continues to find inspiration in the intersection of art, sports, and street culture. So if you go to their site, backline.nyc, you can see all of their designs and all of their products yourself. This Friday night, they're sponsoring the Trial of Miles Night of the 5K. You can watch it live on Sidious Mag's YouTube channel. The broadcast will start at 7 p.m. Eastern time with a mile featuring yours truly. I will be getting after PR. We'll see how close I can get to sub five. And I will be rocking Backline's new performance singlet. I just bought a hoodie that says the future's female coaching because I've entrusted coach Kate Gustafson with all my training for this. Later on in the episode, you can hear more about the Futures Female Coaching Initiative from Backline, where proceeds go towards supporting We Coach. That's an organization dedicated to the recruitment, advancement, and retention of women coaches at all sports. So that's just part of what Backline does. They're a company that's engaging with its customers, they're engineering with care and sustainable environmental practices and they find a way to give back to the community. So Sidious Mac podcast listeners can now use promo code Sidious at checkout for 15% off all of their products. That's t-shirts, hoodies, joggers, jackets, whatever you want. Check them out today at backline.nyc and use code Sidious to support them and the running community at large. This is a two-parter from my trip to Boulder. I made a quick trip over to one of the Tin Man Elite houses and sat down with Jeff Thies and Cam Griffith. Jeff ran at Portland and joined the team in 2018 after feeling like he wasn't quite done with running at the end of his NCAA career, which was marred by injuries towards the end, and he felt like there was more left in the tank. Cam didn't get hurt at the end of his time at Arkansas, but COVID canceled his senior year's indoor championship and the outdoor season. So ready to take things to the next level, he made the move to Boulder and has been training with the group ever since the spring. He had a very brief summer of racing where he ran 340 for 1,500 meters, just a second off of uh, his PR. So he could be the next tin man to land a full-on pro contract. So get to know these guys better. The first half of the show is Jeff, and the second half is Cam. Let's go. Jeff, welcome to the podcast. Uh, we're at here in Boulder at the Tin Man House, the second one, right? This is yeah. This is uh, TME House Two. Uh, we call it Monterey. It's the street we live on, and back in a nice little park. It's a nice place to be. So you've been with the team since what, 2018? Yeah, October 2018. So we're gonna take like a deep dive, sort of, into how you got to this point. But I want to start with growing up in Surf City, USA, <laughs> because how exactly? Do you go about landing on choosing running as like the sport you want to pursue as opposed to something like surfing or, or something that sounds more Californian? <laughs> uh, you know, I guess I was never uh, the huge like surf bro growing up. Um, played actually baseball like year round. Growing really? Up and, uh, and then like in eighth grade, I was too small. I was like five, four, a hundred pounds. Wasn't like the bases grew and there was kids that were six two already and I was like all right not gonna make the high school team uh, and I was actually going from a, a private school to a, a public school 
and there was like two other kids in my class that were doing that. So my mom made me join the cross country team. She really? Said, we have a summer camp. Like you're gonna meet some kids, like make some friends before you go to school. So it's actually a uh, shout out to my mom for making me do that. And then uh, yeah, it all kind of just spiraled from there. Uh, joined the team, and actually that year. One of my teammates, his name is Matt McElroy, a professional yeah. athlete now here in Boulder. Uh, he got second at Foot Locker. So that kind of just immediately opened my eyes to like, wow, there's more in the running community than mm-hmm. just, you know, like the six schools you race all the time and you're in high school. Uh, so that was cool. Yeah. So you, you said you were one of the smaller guys for baseball. At what point did you hit this growth spurt? Because now I think you're definitely one of the taller guys on this team. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I grew seven inches like sophomore to junior year. And that uh, must have helped with, with cross and everything. Oh, it definitely did. There was a, there was a big change. My, uh, my freshman year, I was like the slowest guy on the team. I really? I, I had like an all-out 200. I would hit like a 35. What? Uh, yeah. We had these, uh, these races every Friday. Uh, so growing up in Surf City, high school was a mile from the beach. And mm-hmm. on Fridays, we'd jog down to the beach, run a couple miles in the sand, and then play in the water. Uh, and then on the way back, we'd have to race across the parking lot of the school, like a quarter mile. And whoever got last had like 50 push-ups. We called it the freshman uh, freshman kick every Friday, and I got last every Friday. So, if you were so, struggling that much with like the the shorter distances, I guess like was that just that you didn't have that fast switch muscle fiber going, or or how did you find distances like the distance races? Yeah, I mean, I could I ended up that freshman year running four fifty two, so I could hold okay. like a a thirty five for days. That was just <laughs> like my max speed. Uh, I hadn't grown into my body yet. My feet were size 12 and I was 5'4 so I was mm-hmm. just like stomping around looking all awkward but yeah when did the the light I guess I guess after Matt has this, this sort of success I mean when did you sort of see yourself chasing those goals too uh that was probably about my junior year when things started to click um junior year of track I ran 917 and uh 420 and was like okay I think there's a little more here and I can compete at the, the upper echelons of the California mm-hmm. state meet and then hopefully go on to college and, and compete there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm on the East coast, so I don't necessarily know the, as in depth of the California high school scene, but I know that it's, it's really competitive. I mean, Arcadia is like a huge meet. Where does sort of like your high school and like the area that you're from fall in that pecking order. It's a huge state. So like there's just yeah. a ton of kids. Yeah. And the coolest uh, thing for me at least is that uh, the California state meet and track is one meet. There's mm-hmm. one race for one state champion. Um, and so it makes it really tough. Like I didn't make it to the state meet until my senior year after I'd already committed to run at the university of Portland. Um, ended up personally getting third um, in the 32, but it was, I mean, you can kind of just get lost. There are kids everywhere doing incredibly in, like impressive races uh my senior year i actually got to race sydney um in a two mile oh really yeah like we we grew up like 30 minutes away from each other but that was the only time we raced i mean you can go anywhere and just find like really talented people that are training really hard and, and mm-hmm. kind of pushing the the sport in the in southern california yeah how how far did you get uh, and how close did you get to state as a junior because you said you didn't make it yeah, so I was an alternate for the last qualifying meet. There's like, you've got like five weeks in a row in Southern California where you mm-hmm. have to qualify for the next week in order to make it on to state. Uh, and it just keeps getting more and more difficult. And so my junior year, I went to that last qualifying meet as an alternate and got to sit and like watch actually who uh, would become my teammate at University of Portland, Danny Martinez, win mm-hmm. that race. 
So that's pretty cool. And you committed to to Portland during your junior year, you said, right? Or during my senior year. During your senior, of my year. senior year. Okay. Yeah. But uh, and so you did end up running state, but at that point had been had committed. What what drew you to Portland? Uh, mainly the team aspect. I had uh, I had an amazing group of friends on the team in high school. Um, still some of my best friends to this day, and guys that I love catching up with and seeing every time I'm home. Uh, but in terms of like competing, going to a uh, state and cross country or any of the like postseason meets, I was always kind of solo, uh, warming up alone, stressing out myself, you know, being super anxious. And so the idea of being a part of 40 guys that are that talented and that good and working that hard mm-hmm. um, and knowing that pretty much anywhere I go, I'm going to have a teammate with me uh, was the big draw. What was, who was your recruiting class at Portland? It was actually really small. Uh, we followed a huge recruiting class the year before. So the year one? before was uh, Isaac Yorks. Okay. Went to Portland for a year and then transferred. Um, Danny Martinez, Sergio Gonzalez uh, had committed, but it fell through. He's mm-hmm. a guy from Arcadia. Um, so they kind of went all in the year before. So my year, it was me, um, Jordan Cardenas from uh, Reno, Nevada. He ended up transferring. Uh, Jojo Cortez Adams from LA mm-hmm. and then uh, Keegan Sims from Washington so it's just four of us and by the end uh, there was two of us left wow yeah it's funny because I think if I went back and looked at the list of guests on this podcast Portland might be pretty heavy um, just because you know you've got Fobble Woody and you're following sort of like that history of that team mm-hmm. Was it like, I guess, what kind of talks were, were you hearing from like the upperclassmen at that point about just sort of like the history and like the standard of excellence that they had? It was actually a really cool time to be like a freshman and an underclassman. Uh, my sophomore year was the first year we got on the podium at nationals in cross country. Um, when our highest finish before that had been seventh, we'd always kind of been that top 10 team, mm-hmm. but hadn't been able to put together that kind of breakout team performance and get onto the podium. Uh, so watching them kind of do all the steps necessary in the year leading up to and then the summer of 2014 is when that happened mm-hmm. uh, was really like transformative. It really kind of shaped how I viewed what kind of led to success and how to get to uh, your goals in running. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of trying to just hop onto the their backs whenever I could in workouts or long runs and just follow along and see what they were doing was uh it was really important what was your first impression of Rob Connor oh it was great uh I was on an unofficial visit in September of my senior year and he pulled up on this uh this bike that he clearly built from scratch um and he's just like this quirky guy who's got so much energy and excitement about the sport and it came off immediately I mean he's walking around uh, the campus showing me and my dad around and just like that, that guy is, he spent so much time there, mm-hmm. um, which is one of the things I was super lucky to experience is that like, I didn't have to worry about if my coach was going to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I knew that he'd committed to the school more than I had. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was really easy to, to trust him that way. So it was just, uh, it was a, a weird experience because I was just kind of trying to follow along and he's just jumping around. Um, but it was, uh, it was cool. I really like him. Um, as, as a freshman, sort of, if you go back to what you talked about in your freshman year of high school where you were just struggling and like the slowest guy on the team, where did you fall in the pecking order at Portland? Ooh, I think I would say I was probably like 17th or 20th on, on the roster at that point, um, just based off of, I guess, like five, 5K PR. Um, 
So just right in the middle. And how did you have to like work your way up? Like, and, and how did you approach that day to day in practice? I loved it. Uh, I loved the opportunity to like try and get better every day because mm-hmm. it went from like in high school working out kind of solo, you know, and having to push yourself to like, now I just have to latch on to whoever's in front of me and like stick with them as much as I can. Mm-hmm. Um, it was exciting. It was a lot of like coming out here, um, and starting to train with, with Drew and Sam at the time is like, man, I am getting worked every day in practice and I need to be better to like elevate myself to be at this level. Uh, and that was a huge opportunity. Did you want to focus on 15, 5k like at Portland? Cause I know, I mean, cross is so, it's so heavy on cross that mm-hmm. like sometimes, and when you do well, I guess, uh, on the national stage, like the, you can sometimes find yourself being thrown into even like 10k and then that's yeah. just, you know, a hell of a race. Oh, I thought I was a 10k guy. You thought so? Yeah. Really? Coming out of high school, uh, is I'd run the two mile in high school and had some success there. I was like, okay, like I'm a two mile guy that jumps up to 10k. That's and that's like what you do at Portland, which was exciting. And then uh, actually ran like the 10K at US Juniors my like after my freshman year. Uh, and that's when you Junior Worlds was in Eugene. Mm-hmm. And I ran 34-14. I got lapped twice. Really? I had a conversation <laughs> with, uh, with Coach Connor on the home stretch of Hayward. Like my family had driven 20 hours to come watch. It was just an embarrassing uh, showing. And then kind of realized, okay, maybe not the 10K. So I was actually pushing like the steeple and then um my junior year popped off a of 15 it set a school record didn't even see it coming uh, i kind of came out of nowhere got in the right race at the right time um and then that's when kind of shifted my focus towards that yeah what, what was what was that race so it was the brian clay invite um in 2017 when i was in the second heat that we got out super hot and ended up um closing and winning that race uh it was really funny i like set the meet record for five minutes because josh kerr the next heat ran 335 <laughs> uh, for the collegiate record. So it was, uh, it was a fun experience. But going into that race, Coach Connor was just like, man, I don't I don't know where you're at for a 15. Like, sit at the back, and if you're lucky, you run 344 and qualify for regionals. And then I ended up popping off a 341, which was pretty exciting. Yeah, I want to stay on 2017 for a bit because, like, that was yeah. a really strong year for you. NCAAs, like, I looked at sort of the results from that race. That class, it was, like, Josh Kerr, Craig Engels, Josh Thompson, Ben Sorrell, Blake Haney. And then at NCAAs, you ended up finishing seventh in, in 344. Mm-hmm. How did you sort of feel about how that year had ended for you? Because that was just, I guess, like, the first breakthrough you had. Yeah, I mean, that was huge. That was the year that uh, like help solidify within myself and I guess externally kind of how I've always viewed myself. You know, I think a lot of people, uh, see themselves as being at a certain level and aspire to be at that level. And then, you know, I always kind of believed within myself, like I was an all American caliber athlete and I could compete with those guys. Uh, and so actually going out there and doing that and getting in a field with uh, like you mentioned, Craig Angles, Josh Kerr, Josh Thompson, Neil Gorley was right there, and he's a 334 guy now. Mm-hmm. I mean, that field was loaded. And just being right there, I was like, okay, I'm not crazy. I'm not just lying to myself. Like, this is legitimate. So that mm-hmm. was exciting. And then it really helped shape going into that summer. Like, okay, now I need to like solidify this and help our team do something we knew would be pretty special. And that was ending up uh, on the podium, getting second across that season. 
that summer, I want to hear what's going on behind the scenes sort of in training because, mm. I mean, when I had, I think, Rob on the podcast that fall, this is after the big surprise of what ended up happening and you guys actually making, you know, that podium and, and this goal being fulfilled. But that summer as a team, what is the early conversation about the goal? Trying to win a national title. We knew the guys that were coming in, the transfers we had, Matt Welch, uber-talented, uh, Emmanuel Rudolph Levis from... France, extremely talented. We knew that we had the guys that we needed um, as long as we all did the work and put in the effort, um, we'd, we'd make a splash. Um, it was really funny actually that summer for the month of July, like I went home and I actually, I was running 90 to 100 miles a week and flipping burgers uh, in this like shack on the beach with my friends. It was like the weirdest summer for me because <laughs> I was just biking around, like running in the morning, going to work, getting off Dublin and then hanging out. And it was like the most fun that I had had up to that point training because it was relaxed. And I knew that if I just like did my run each day, once I got back to Portland in August and September, that's when like the real training would happen that would lead to something special in November. And it was sort of funny about uh, that fall. It's just, like, I think that might've been one of the first years that Isaac Wood might've started doing like the Wood Report, uh, for Sidious. And it's sort of like the conversation centered on BYU, NAU, as you guys sit in Portland, taking everything in, what everyone's saying, these so-called experts and pundits, uh, of the sport, the, what, what's going on and like, sort of like, did you guys see yourselves? I know you guys probably did see yourselves as like national title threats, mm-hmm. But keeping so much of it a secret, I think, was was key. Yes, yeah, and I think uh, that was kind of the fun part. I mean, we were already viewed as an underdog, and we just wanted to play into that. Um, there's so much of kind of that energy of being a small school uh, in the Northwest that's overshadowed by Oregon. You know, we get all these opportunities to race against them, and we're always like, I mean, we go into the fall, and it's duck hunting season. It's time to go out there and, like, get some scalps. Uh, and then we kept that energy going and then, yeah, kept it a secret. Like didn't debut anyone until Wisco. That's right. Which was pretty late. Um, but allowed us to just spend all of September, like putting in miles, staying healthy and, and getting good workouts in. Um, so I think that was huge. Who ended up being like the wild card Gazette? Uh, was it Matt Welsh? I think Matt ended Welsh, up being the yeah. wild card that. Yeah. The, the week before Wisco, we ran, uh, like a hill repeat workout and he, his Achilles flared up and he had to miss five weeks and he came back and, but he was like the most fit of all of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he came back and he was like, dude, you're running NCAAs. Like, don't even think about regionals. You're just running nationals. And he was like, I don't know if I can do it. And he came out and balled out. He ended up getting, I think it was 45th or somewhere around there. Um, and it was just a huge like swing in that race against BYU and uh, NAU to get us into that second spot. Yeah, so is, is that where he earned the nickname Matty Ice, or did he have that beforehand? He I think that, he had that on his recruit visit. When really? He came out. Yeah. Uh, RC, like, jokingly was like, hey, man, come here. We'll call you Matty Ice. Don't <laughs> tell anyone, though, okay? We, we can't share that until you commit. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, and then he paid off. You, you ended up finishing 14th at NCAAs. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a guy who focuses on the 15th, that's amazing. I mean, how did you sort of... I mean, was it just that huge summer of training with the 100-mile weeks that really led to that strength for a 10K race? Uh, yeah, I would say that and just the mindset that, like, I think cross-country, it's not, it's not talent-based. It's, it's effort-based. I knew that, like, after getting 7th in the 15, that I was 
as talented as all those top mm-hmm. guys. And if I went home and I put in the work every day and, and I had a strong, healthy summer, I could be competitive. Uh, whether that was like at Wisco or then nationals, like I knew that it, doing the work, I was going to be able to, to go with those mm-hmm. like moves. It's funny because when we watch sort of an NCAA like cross country race on like a live stream, you, it, the camera just focuses on like the people up in the front mm-hmm. for you to get that 14th place finish. How did that race unfold for you? Oh, that race was, uh, was painful. It hurt a lot. So the kind of the mindset going in was like, if there was like a pack of like the Alabama, Alabama Kenyans, mm-hmm. if they made a hard move cause it was a kind of a fast course, but it was wet and windy that day. Um, if they made a hard move, let them go. But uh, if not, like I'm gonna stick my nose in the front pack. And so watching Matt Baxter entire day make that hard move, I don't know why, but I was just like, all right, like I can, I can stick with these guys. And I paid the price for that one for sure. Well, so uh, you were coming back toward the end, right? Or I, yeah, I, like I kind of came back and then closed hard um, because at 4K, I think it was uh, Keegan, uh, Gilbert Keegan made a move, and I was just like, I can't respond to that. So I like had to tuck in. Uh, me and uh, Manu did for the next, what, 6K. And then with a K to go, I remember hearing someone say like, all right, like you're 25th to like someone around me. I was like, sweet, all American. Like I'm not gonna get out kicked by 15 guys. This will be a good day. It'll be mm-hmm. a, like a good showing. And then with 500 to go, RC is screaming at every single one of us, five points out of second. We're five points out of second. You gotta get five guys. And there were three Stanford guys in front of me at that point. And I ended up kicking down, I think around nine guys in the last, 150 200 meters uh for that 14 spot so it was kind of a falling back and then j almost a jv kick at the finish but uh yeah we ended up getting second so it was huge in that moment i guess like when when rc's yelling that it's you know what you have to do everyone else is getting the same message Mm -hmm. you did your part everyone crosses the finish line did you know you guys had it so i didn't i had sold my soul in the course uh and actually like was on the ground, dry heaving. I ended up like table topping an official at one point. They just like dragged me out of the way. Uh, and I think I spent like 20 minutes after just in this haze. I had no idea what was going on. There's a photo of the rest of my teammates celebrating because they realized we got second and there's no lights on. Like I'm not there. <laughs> and it took me forever to like turn somebody like, so what, what place did we get? And they're like, dude, we got second. And I was just like, oh damn, okay. Like we did it, this is awesome. But it, it took a minute. Was that the most spent you've ever been after your race? Mm, that or, or like the 1500 final coming in, like the last 100. I remember I went tunnel vision, and I I can't tell you what happened the last 100 meters of that race. It, Have you rewatched it? And like, Yeah, I knowing now, I like pulled out into lane three thinking like, all right, I'm going to kick down this pack and get like third. And then you know, everyone's got <laughs> such a good kick that you just end up pulling out into lane three and being like, okay, now it hurts. And yeah. stuck with them, but yeah. Post cross, what's the sort of celebration like, and then where where does RC want to take things from there? Oh man, he uh, I was uh, asleep on the plane home taking a nap, and he woke me up and was like, "Dude, let's run a 5K in Indiana in three weeks. Like, let's try to qualify for NCAs indoors. Like, he's already on to the next thing. He's like, let's get going. I mean, he walked into the office I think the day after and was like, okay. Uh, we had had a P2 written on the whiteboard in the office for podium two the second chance at the podium and they changed that to C1 championship one. And so that was the, the thing is like, okay, now we're trying to win another national championship because outside of myself and Matt Welch, uh, everyone was returning from that, mm-hmm. that group. So they were, they were back down, you know, 
to the grindstone. You got 364 days until NCAAs. Is that does that stay on the whiteboard until it's accomplished, or do teams take it year by year? I, I think it's on the whiteboard. I know uh, I know Jack Mullaney, the assistant coach, has got a countdown to the NCAA across every single year. Now this year might be a little different with uh, everything that's been going on, but I, I know he's counting down, and everyone's got their their mindset on winning the first national title uh, for the program. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess, like, did you end up running that 5K three weeks after? I did. I did. Uh, I ended up running, like, 14 flat, which was my PR at that point. And it was okay. Not going to get you to indoors. Not going to do anything special. Um, and then ended up taking a little bit of downtime, had a, a shortened indoor season, and then tried uh, – Got a little excited because of my cross finish. I was like, you know, I could be competitive in the 10K again. I started running uh, a few too many high mileage weeks and got a stress fracture, missed outdoor. Yeah. Yeah. I know that, so kind of like in the Tin Man bio, I think that they have on the website for you, that's just like the the big unchecked box for you and in your NCAA career mm-hmm. um, was that that outdoor season just didn't happen. How hard was that for you to, like, for, like how hard of a pill was that to swallow? It was rough. Um, cause I had kind of at that point put all my chips into this basket uh, of running and, um, I had, I had one class that semester. I was pretty much a pro athlete. I, you know, it was just my chance to, to go and compete for a national title individually. Um, and I thought I had a very good shot. Um, so it was rough for the first few days, but then it, it turned into this mindset of, okay, now what do I need to do? To continue running because that's just what I want to keep doing. And luckily, having Scott Favel, Woody Kincaid, Reed Buchanan, all these guys that have made that jump, mm-hmm. I had a lot of you know kind of resources to pull from. And be like, hey guys, like, how did how'd your process go? And and RC was a huge help in kind of helping me navigate the whole scene. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a lot. So how, how did you sort of when watching NCAA's that mm-hmm. outdoor season? were like that FOMO, can you describe oh, it? I mean, I was standing on the, uh, like the 200 mark. Oh, you were there? Yeah. I mean, it's a two hour drive. You got, I had, uh, teammates in the, the 10 K and the, the steeple. So it was like, gotta be there, man. It was rough. I watched that, uh, that 15, that was the year Ollie won. And I was just like, man, I, I should have been in this field. I should have been on that starting line. So it was, it was hard to watch. Mm-hmm. That was probably the, the most difficult part of missing the season was just that moment and being like, I blew my opportunity to continue running almost. When did you finally get healthy? Um, I had been running for maybe two weeks at that point, but it was like walk Not runs. Not time, yeah. Yeah, it, was just, it didn't happen. Uh, fifth metatarsal tarsal stress fracture already takes a long time to heal, and I had my mindset on coming back so much that I hopped on the Alter-G like two weeks after uh, I got the MRI. And I had it at like 30% of my body weight and ran in intense pain for 20 minutes thinking it would just like go away. Oof. It didn't and definitely like set myself back. So I didn't make the right decisions when trying to come back. Where does uh, Tin Man sort of come into sort of like your, like when did it pop on your radar? Uh, so I was actually, after I had I'd road trip back home from Portland and stopped in Mammoth uh, to visit Mammoth Track Club and uh, it just it wasn't the right fit for me. And Sam Parsons had actually sublet my room uh, in Portland when he was an intern at Adidas. So I had his number and I just, I had to text him. I was like, hey man, like I'm looking for a, a group that I can train with. Uh, you know, you guys have been doing some really cool stuff. I'd love to just like hop on a call 
And so then uh, had like an hour phone call with him and Drew when they were in uh, Belgium. And then he was like, yeah, like come out on a visit at some point. Like he gave me a couple dates and I just booked a flight, came out for a few days and was like, okay, this is where I need to be. I, I was on the bus back to the airport. I texted my parents, I was like, I'm moving to Boulder in a month. And uh, what did and they say just, to that? They're like, all right, sounds good. They knew when I had moved home from college that I, my plan was to hopefully by October find a place mm-hmm. to, to continue training and keep running. It's funny for me to picture sort of like a, that it sounds like a job interview when, when you when you call Drew <laughs> yeah. and Sam and knowing that Drew is young in, in like the grand <laughs> scheme of things, that sort of that call, how serious was it? And like, because there's sort of like, that's, it is sort of like a job interview, but at the same time, these are people you know closely and and are, and are friends. So there's a there's a weird balance that that had to have been like shifted there. Yeah, I mean, I'm sitting like in my kitchen sweating on this phone call. Really? Like, yeah, like this is my at that point last and only shot is that I'm either moving here to Boulder and training with these guys, or I guess get a a big boy job and kind of hang them up, uh, which I did not want to do. So I'm sitting there sweating talking uh to drew and sam and i mean they're just they're lighthearted. they're they're great guys and so as the conversation went on it started to feel more natural and more of like a a group of guys that i'd love to spend you know my life with mm-hmm. this, this group that i'm moving across the country to join um but it was kind of funny like it was an hour phone call and then i slept in drew's basement for a few days and as i was like about to leave sam was like all right like if you want to come out like We'll see you. We'll see you out here. And so I told them, like, yeah, I'll be here October first. I got to go home and like quit my job as a busboy. Like, <laughs> you know, get get all my stuff like packed up into my car and drive across the country. Uh, and I didn't hear from him for a month. It was like a week before I was driving here, and he was like, "Oh yeah, man, like excited to have you come out." And I was like, "Okay." Wow, they didn't ghost you. <laughs> no, no, didn't ghost me. But it was a little stressful. And I ended up. Uh, it's really funny. I drove out here, and I lived in an Airbnb in Denver for the first month uh, and woke up at like 5.30 every morning to drive out here for workouts and wow. uh, just like commute an hour both ways to like make it work. I was like, this is the only place I can find at that, at that time. Um, and then ended up moving into the Vaughn's basement with a couple of guys on the team. They were nice enough to, to let us rent uh, this like Airbnb space they have in their basement for five months. So it wasn't until May of 2019 that we moved into this house now. Wow. And I realized like, been out here for seven months. I didn't own a bed. Like I had just been living out of a suitcase, just living the dream, training with the group. It was it was so much fun. That's crazy. That's yeah. that's truly an example of like really doing this for for the love of the game of sorts. Yeah. Um, when when you did sort of like start to embed yourself within practices, um, did you? Uh, it's similar to what I asked Joey was. When did you sort of like feel like you were earning your spot on this team? Because when it comes to the actual roster, at the very beginning, it starts with four guys, and then over time, names start to get added. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, definitely that happened around club cross. Just getting that opportunity to race. I mean, as a team, like you're on the line as a team more so than just like you know on the line racing next to your teammate. Uh, because we had that that common goal. And it was a, I mean, it was a fun race in Spokane that year. Brooks Beast came out. It, mm-hmm. There were some good groups that were, you know, trying to, to win club cross. It's a, a cool event, and it was like, okay, cool. This is when I'm racing with like Sam 
at that point, uh, Morgan was on the, the club cross team, Reed, Kyle, Joey, like that's when it kind of really came together for me at least that I was like, okay, this is, this is more legit than just like living in an Airbnb and running some workouts with some guys. How'd you guys get hyped up for that race? Because I mean, for a lot of these groups, it's just like, they're like, oh, club cross. Like it's just a, you know, one of these races that they might add later on in the year. Like it's not the Mm. big one, but for you guys, I think like you guys were out there like making a statement that this was going to be a big win. Yeah. I mean, at that point, the, the group still trying to like make its, its place on the Mm -hmm. the scene. You know, we're still trying to solidify like this is a serious group of guys training to be our best um and so it's we always kind of it's like that underdog mentality that we had at portland it was like we need to to keep like swinging up and trying to Mm -hmm. to compete with the best of the best every single time we get out and every time we get on the line when did it start to like this growth and, and watching it from from your own shoes how have you sort of been able to uh one enjoy it and also just sort of like take it all in as to like holy shit, this is much bigger than what I signed up for at the very beginning. Oh, I mean, that happens every day. Uh, it's crazy. Like, like when I moved out here, we didn't have nearly the support we had from Adidas. Now we have Whoop. We've got, like, so many things set into place. We've got, you know, strength training that I couldn't afford to do before we'd gotten this support. Mm-hmm. We've got physio we got all these things that like are that you need to perform at your best but things that like i couldn't swing with my part-time job when i first moved out here uh but it's yeah every time like i go to a meet um there's a picture i don't know if you've seen it of uh it's a long island mile yeah yeah um joey bought that for me for christmas and it's a bunch of kids uh for the listeners smiling and throwing up the hammer and axe with me after a race that I had, I got sixth. You know, I didn't win, but these, these kids were so excited to, to interact with me. I, I ran into some kids before and they were like, oh, do you run for 10 man elite? And I was like, oh yeah, my name's Jeff. And they're like, oh, we picked you to win. And they had no clue who I was, <laughs> but just that I ran for 10 man elite and they were excited about that. So every, it's all those interactions that we get to have with fans that really like solidify as like, this is so much more and so much more special than I ever thought it would be um, and I ever thought my running career could ever be. What are your DMs like from those kids? <laughs> I mean, I, they were so excited. I posted on my Instagram and there's just kids going down like, oh, like, we made it. Like, we're on. Like, oh, no way. <laughs> and it's just like, it's awesome because those, that excitement and that just energy is what I think makes the sport special because that excitement can come from everyone racing to be their best self and their best performance and that doesn't like always have to be a time on the clock it doesn't always have to be a place it's this kind of energy of trying to be better for ourselves and for each other that i think is uh something that's really unique to the running community one of the instagram posts because i remember when you posted that photo there's another one that stood out to me where you wrote, it's been 320 days and a stress and a stress fracture since I last raced on the track. Since that time, I've graduated, move ho- move home before moving to Boulder to join the best team I could ever hope for. That was January 2019, and then you go on to break four minutes for the first time. Like just the fact that you emphasize like the 320 days just shows kind of like how much that was weighing on you for mm-hmm. like that opportunity to race that first sub four. How special was it? 
I mean, it was, it was great. It was actually really funny. I was talking to uh, my parents after I immediately called my mom and was like, you know, I did it. They had watched a flow track, but I was, I was so excited. And they were like, like, how's it feel? And I was like, honestly, kind of a relief. Uh, just because having to run 340 in 2017, I mean, that's, I'd had multiple races at that sub four kind of effort and equivalent, but having it on paper, um, and I, I ran 359.89. I mean, by the skin of my teeth, getting underneath uh, four, it was just like, okay, it's another thing that solidified to myself, kind of where I viewed myself as, a, as an athlete. It was a very similar experience to that uh, All-American mm-hmm. finish. Um, it was just kind of like, okay, like, yeah, I'm a sub four guy. Cool. That sticks with me for the rest of my life. Um, now I can go and just like have more fun trying to run as fast as I can mm-hmm. uh, because I don't no longer have to worry about like, am I ever going to, to break four? Then last year, I guess like from 17, 18 was kind of like, you know, the roughest year so far of your mm-hmm. career. But last year was like another breakout year, PR in the mile, two mile, 5k. What was clicking right? Man, I think uh, it's similar to like the jumps that you make from high school to college, um, college of pros is getting into a group where you have people pushing you. I mean, I get to hang on to Drew's coattails and workouts. Like, and he is a phenom talent. Uh, and just like, I get to learn and grow from one of the, the best high school athletes and now like a very legitimate threat mm-hmm. in the US scene. Like, that's huge. Um, and that helps me every day be better and, and maximize my own potential. And then this past winter, I guess, like injury strikes again. <laughs> yep. Uh, you just recently, I guess, raced for the first time in a while. It was just like the two mile out here in, mm-hmm. in Boulder, something super low key. But this time away, I think that you posted several times about sort of just like you're just itching to get back, itching to rejoin workouts. Um, what did you learn from this injury? Uh, I got to stop being an idiot. Um, <laughs> I did the same thing, this injury that I did with the stress fracture. Uh, I rolled my ankle in 5k road champs in new york city oh wow um you still finished pretty high up there yeah i finished seventh my highest finish at a u.s championship uh it was a very good race and was like stoked that coming off of that at that point the olympics were still happening like i'm gonna go put in week after week of good training and like i mean i need a pr Mm -hmm. to qualify for the trials like i need to work towards that so wasn't willing to take time off when my post tip was killing me like the that next day i was uh walking around watching the new york city marathon and my foot was just was hurting pretty badly and i ended up like being at my i don't i I still don't know exactly what happened with the roll but my my post tip just got super inflamed right at the navicular um and i ran on it for another three and a half weeks uh tried racing on it again didn't go too well and was finally like okay like i need to stop and figure this out and that was this injury was rough because there wasn't you know with a with a bone injury you got like a timeline it's mm-hmm. like okay cool like you wait six to eight weeks and like things generally heal uh, I missed all of December traveled to, to Boston to get treatment for a week in January still missed all of January traveled again to Boston in February for a week to get treatment uh, and was like just barely able to like start running on the Alter G at that point and it had been two and a half months uh, you know. A lot of money spent trying to get healthy and and i'd get on the alter g like having an anxiety attack about like it was my foot gonna hurt still is my post tip gonna be 
bothering me. And at that point, again, the Olympics are still happening. So it's like, how do I salvage the fact that I just missed two months? Um, so all of the things that have happened, as bad as they are, have been somewhat of a blessing to me because they've allowed me to learn and, and grow from mm-hmm. that. Um, so now coming back to where I am now racing, I mean, I ran 901 uh, for a hot, smoky two-mile in Boulder, which isn't fantastic, but it was nice to be back on the track, like, suffering a little bit and mm-hmm. like in, enjoying like leaning into that race effort and when things aren't going great you kind of lose sight of that when you're stuck in the pool or on the bike yeah it's interesting because like the olympics got postponed pretty late i would say they were dragging on that official announcement and so i'm very curious because i don't think i've ever asked someone who was injured earlier this year sort of about like that stress and managing sort of that mounting pressure it's like i need to get back like I, i need to make the trials and that kind of stuff that feels like it can weigh on you and like and knowing that it's out of your control how healthy you can get super quick um what how did you manage that i mean it was tough there's a, i mean at that point there's so many things out of out of my control like the the racing scene in the u.s is starting to slowly disintegrate mm-hmm. you know like meet after meet here and there just like okay we're postponing or we're canceling um and i was that was in march when i was in this place of like okay i'm, I'm healthy enough to run i started a couple of workouts and like i need to start going like i need to get in shape fast because they were still saying they were hosting the Olympic trials mm-hmm. and hosting the Olympics. So I need to be, I need to find a place at a time where I can run a standard and get in. Um, and so honestly, it was just a lot of kind of hyper anxiety about like, yeah, how do I maximize today? How do I get like better today more so than normal? Uh, which I don't think was the healthy response. It definitely didn't make things easier. Uh, it definitely just made me stress out more. Yeah, and I'm yeah. sure you weren't alone with that. I mean, there's multiple guys on the team who were searching for, you know, the trials qualifiers, and, mm-hmm. and there's countless pros, I think, who are still missing it. So, um, yeah, it was just so interesting because of how long everyone just dragged their feet on, on, on making that official. Yeah, yeah. So then they finally did make it official. It was a, it's a nice, like, breath of relief. Yeah. Just like, okay, now I can – now I've got, like, at that point, 18 months. It's time to uh, – to be smart and actually be healthy through those 18 months. And then, mm-hmm. uh, it was kind of, it was just like, if I do that, if I'm healthy, I know I'm capable of qualifying, but yeah, that was a, it was a rough, like three to four weeks there. Uh, are you approaching 2021 possibly looking at 5k 15 or like where, where are you right now spitballing ideas? Because yeah. there's, it's funny because the 1500 at the Olympic trials or just at any U.S. championship is always a crapshoot to try and predict. Like aside from maybe banking on Centrowitz over the last couple of years, like then it's mm-hmm. just a, all right, who's two, three. And then if you look at the 5k scene, I was having this conversation with Riley Masters a couple of days ago. It's not like sometimes the 1500 guys think, oh man, I'll just move up to the 5k, 10k and that'll be easier. Um, it's not easy. Like yeah. the 5K in oh, particular, yeah. you know from just kind of like the road championships last year, you've got Paul Chalimo watching USA's last year, Woody Kincaid, Lopez Lamong. These are machines that are just also standing in the way of those three spots. Yeah. There's no easy choice here. So like where, where are you leaning right now? I'm leaning towards the 15th. Uh, coming off of last summer had a pretty good, like August has got that mile scene and had a, a, some good races. I uh, competed well with guys that were in like the U S final mm-hmm. last year. And then again, like I think 
honestly, to be competitive in the 5K, you have to be, I was talking with Coach Schwartz about this, like 13-10 shape. 28 seconds is a little uh, little aggressive to expect to, to drop in, in a year. So um, when it comes to the 15, like it's a little bit more of a toss-up, and I have experience being in a race where it, that, for me, was a toss-up because I haven't run the 15 that much mm-hmm. in my career. I think I've run like 12, 1500s, uh, which is an awfully small number. Yeah, I think about it for seventh. sure. Yeah, because... Um, so yeah, I'm kind of leaning towards that. I think, uh, it's a little bit easier, not easier, but like it's more open. Yeah. Yeah. There's that opportunity for things to fall differently than like I was in that 5k final last year outdoors. Uh, man, that was the most painful experience. Like Paul Chalimo took it out and I ended up going out in like 412 (laughs) and then running 14 flat. It was just like. I ended up blowing up and I'm just not there yet to, to make that, that move with them mm-hmm. and be competitive with just having that few number, that, that small number of 1500s, like how much, and how do you approach learning the event? Like from, you can, you can learn and take notes from watching races on YouTube and, and mm-hmm. sort of maybe even talking to, to some of your teammates, but what do you think you're lacking there that you want to improve on? Um, I think, like experience, just getting in more 1500s, um, and then, like, training-wise, when I was training for the 15 at, at Portland, it was it was relatively solo. Now I've got Cam, who's gotten third at US or at uh, NCAA's, and he's a 339 guy. Um, I mean, Drew and Sam and Goose are all 336, 337 guys. Like, there's so much room, I think. For myself to grow mm-hmm. um, in that and just kind of learning from the guys who have done it uh, on the team which is kind of a nice thing to have what are the goals you have I guess for for the rest of this year even though it's like super murky like in mm-hmm. terms of we don't know how many opportunities there are to race what do you what do you want to accomplish the rest of this year yeah I mean I don't want to miss another week uh, is a big one I don't I'm tired of getting in the pool and aqua jogging as much uh, as much fun as that is and as good as it is for you it <laughs> gets old quick um, there's a, a 1500 possibly on the horizon in the next few weeks that I'd like to go and, and run 340, 339 in and, and get back to kind of where my old self was. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, yeah, honestly, just clicking off consistent weeks and, and good training because I've seen that make there be a huge difference maker for Joey and Drew in the last like eight months that they've they've come back from injuries as well like I have. Some of theirs even longer than mine, and and just being healthy and consistent has gotten them so far. Um, I mean, Brian Brazza did the same thing and ran thirteen thirty right before everything got mm-hmm. kind of shut down. Um, so just sticking with those guys and and enjoying the the time. All right, final questions I ask every guest. All First right. one: What's the funniest drug testing story you have? Um, you know, it's only been drug tested once really? my, uh, freshman year of college <laughs> and just, just the whole experience, um, for anyone who's never been drug tested, it's awkward. I mean, they, they watch everything. <laughs> yeah. So as a freshman in college, it was like six 30 in the morning on a Wednesday and I'm standing in this bathroom holding my shirt up and like spinning in a circle so the drug tester can make sure that I'm not <laughs> trying to cheat. And I was just like, I've run 
that point, like 15 minutes for a 5K and then <laughs> 25 minutes for an 8K. Like, they really cracking that. Drug tested. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, I'm definitely doping to, to run this. But yeah, that'd probably be it. Um, meanest thing you've read about yourself on let's run.com or we can open it up YouTube comments. Man, I don't, I don't really read too much let's run or too many YouTube comments. Um, just mainly because like I'm racing for myself. Yeah. Um, and if that helps others, it's cool. If it hurts them, I don't need to know about it. Um, that's their prerogative. I'm just going to. That's a healthy mindset to take, for sure. Yeah, it's just easier for me to stay away. Definitely. Um, If you could go on a run anywhere in the world with anyone from history, assuming they could hold a nice conversational pace with you, who would this run uh, be with and where would it take place? Hmm. They don't have to be a runner. They could be a celebrity or whatever. Man, that's uh, interesting. I'm going to have to go with uh, Tanakasi Hotes. Yeah. Yeah, um, I just read Between the World and Me and was I just would love to, to pick his brain and, and find ways that I can learn and be better uh, myself yeah. and be a, a better person in, in our world today. Uh, where? Man, I've it's been so cool getting to travel the country and race throughout my career. I mean, I would just take him back to Huntington and run on the boardwalk. Yeah, that's, um, that's a good one. Just so I can zone out. And, and listen, I mean, zone out of the run and, and pay attention to, to what he has to say and, and learn from him. Yeah. Have you done the Europe circuit yet? Or I have not. Um, that this was kind of a goal for this, yeah. this summer that has been lost, but uh, I think, still think it's on the horizon. Yeah. Last question has nothing to do with running. You get 25 shots from half court. If you make one, you win $25 million. If you don't make any, you go to jail for 25 years. Would you attempt a shot? Every time. Really? Yeah. Do you pass well? Uh, no, no. I, I played for one year uh, in second grade. Um, man, I just, I think, I, I think most guys on this team would say that they'd take the shots. Yeah, Joey and we, Sam uh, have tried it, and they said they they hit it. I was there. Joey forgets about it. I, it took me <laughs> like the seventeenth or eighteenth shot. Okay, getting a little nerve wracking, but uh, I mean, we all we all bet on ourselves, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna keep doing that, uh, even with those odds. I'm still gonna bet on myself. I like it. Jeff, thanks so much for doing this. This is a lot of fun. I appreciate it. A quick break to hear from our sponsor, Backline. Like I said at the top of the show, one of my favorite designs is their Future is Female Coaches shirt. They also have shirts, hoodies, and jackets that say the Future is Female Runners. So I wanted to know a little bit more about how this design came to be. I asked co-founder Matthew Vosberg. The, the Features Female Runners uh, and then ultimately the Features Female Coaches designs were, were born out of uh, really um, a desire to celebrate um, the amazing achievements that we've seen, particularly over the last several years, but, but over um, the many decades. You know, we, we often do get this question uh, around, you know, do we mean to, to say the future as opposed to now? And you know, we certainly don't mean the, the design to be taken so literally. It's, it's a play off of the original Features Female design. And so we don't uh, claim uh, certainly ownership over that. What we did want to do was inspire um, others to, you know, to to get into the sport um, and to make sure that they knew that they had a place in the sport. Because I think there's such a uh, emphasis, whether it's in representation, whether that's in gear, whether that's in uh, pay at the professional level uh, or in coaching. Um, we've seen that there's been a focus on uh, the male athlete and less on the female athlete. And a lot of that has to do with, you know, how we look at 
athletes and ensuring that they have a space across all of those different uh, roles within the sport as coaches, as, as uh, athletes, as professionals. Uh, and so the Features Female Runners was the start of that. It was certainly one of our biggest designs for a longest period of time. Um, and we received a lot of um, great you know, positive feedback on that in terms of it really inspiring others to, to get into the sport. We've now changed that into the Features Female Coaches Initiative, which is to really focus on highlighting female coaches, both in the New York City area, but also abroad uh, in, across the country, and the great things that they're doing um, to really uh, help highlight a part of the conversation um, of how they're coaching in an age where we're seeing just um, horrendous story after story of the ways in which uh, females have been um, uh, coached uh, at the professional level, uh, but even across all levels, ensuring that there's enough information about how to coach people properly, understanding the differences between men and women, uh, so that uh, everyone feels like uh, they're getting appropriate information and not just getting a cookie cutter uh, plan that was designed for males uh, or uh, with the with the understanding of the science for males, and then just kind of replicating that into you know a female um, a female coaching or female training plan. Um, that's obviously a sort of a major part of um, how do we shift that conversation and portions of sales uh, for uh, or a portion of the sale for the features female coaches design actually goes to we coach which is a great organization um, uh, with uh, training for female coaches at the collegiate level and and they're expanding beyond that as well check out the future is female coaches and the future is female runners line at backline.nyc and for our Sidious Mag podcast listeners, you get 15% off at checkout if you use promo code Sidious. Backline.nyc. All right, Cam. So you're one of the newest members of Tin Man Elite. Yes, sir. I don't know too much about you, which that's, is going to make that's this. Fair. That's completely fine. <laughs> so uh, how is it that you landed out here in Boulder? Um, it's honestly kind of a long story. So I got in contact with the guys first of all uh after my true senior year because i i had just gotten third at ncas in the 1500 outdoor and so i was like all right i think i'm good enough to go pro like like i'll get just get in contact with as many people as possible like, you know like obviously tim man was one of those groups um spoke to uh reed uh sam and drew a little bit um and then just kind of spoke to them over the summer, just like getting to know the guys a little bit. Uh, they were kind of seeing if I was going to be a good fit. Eventually went on a visit, flew out. Um, I think it was early August. Yeah, it was early August because I was not sure if I was coming back for my fifth year because I only had indoor left. Mm-hmm. And flew out from my altitude camp in Flagstaff with the rest of my team from Flagstaff to Boulder and then hung out here for a couple of days and then then flew back to, to Flagstaff. Um, and eventually just ended up working out to where it was going to be better for me to take my fifth year, compete indoors, and then head out pretty much immediately after that. Mm-hmm. And so that was the original plan. And then obviously COVID happened and I actually ended up moving out a little bit later. I ended up being about uh, late June. Right. But, um, but yeah. 
It's funny because I was doing some digging on your Instagram, and there's a photo from SEC Championships this year. It's one of the, I guess, most recent posts of yours. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because the caption sort of ends with, like, all right, you had just, you know, run really well at SECs, and you're, like, looking forward to, like, these next great opportunities. And then COVID happens. Yeah. Wipes everything (laughs) away. What were your sort of your expectations for NCAA indoors? Um, I, I guess it was a little bit of a question mark. I knew I was in really good shape because of how well SECs had gone. Um, it was my best SECs yet. I won the 3K for the third year in a row, uh, anchored the DMR to get second, and then was second in the mile as well behind... Uh, almost almost won the mile, but just got dipped right at the line. Um, but yeah, it was. It, I was really happy that that was my last SECs ever. Um, and honestly, my last race for my college team too um so like in that regard it was it was kind of cool but i was super excited for ncas like it just kind of pumped me up like Mm -hmm. i ran 750 in the 3k at husky and it was like the hardest race of my entire life like i knew i was still getting into shape because i'd like just been kind of coming like back i think i'd been working out for maybe three maybe four weeks was the injury before that i had a bit of an achilles issue and it wasn't like super serious but i was like pretty cautious with it so I didn't start running on the ground until mid-December, I think it was. I'd just flown back, flown back to Australia, and that like that was my first week on the ground, like December fifteenth, December sixteenth, or something like that. And so like the fact like Husky was kind of like my first big race, and like I just qualified. I think I was like fourteenth in the three k, and then we qualified the DMR team as well. And I was like, honestly, I just got to get to NCAs in the three k. <laughs> um, that was like my main goal because I think I, I like could have won it. Um, because I like ran 750 off like very little training, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Wow, this is really encouraging. This is all I wanted to do." And now, like, I'm just excited to race. Were you in Albuquerque when everything kind of shut down? Mm-hmm. Take me through that weird day or so, because I mean, I just remember March 10th is when like Rudy Gobert on the Utah Jazz test positive, yeah. Tom Hanks test positive, and like the world is slowly shutting down yeah. and NCAAs, again, everyone was there and, and it looked like things were going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely weird. Um, my mom had actually come to visit me in at SEC. So she was already in the country. Uh, she got to watch me there and then she was kind of, she was hanging out with my brother who also lives in the U S just for like the next couple of weeks waiting for NCAs to roll around. Um, and so like they show up and then we get the message that it's going to be like, no spectators and so we're like oh crap like my mom's like my mom's over here like my brother had uh flown from san francisco like Mm -hmm. i'm like i'm kind of bummed out that like family's not even allowed to watch like that really sucks but you know like there's pretty strict guidelines for a reason like it it makes sense and so like i was like okay like i'll just be able to hang out with them like after the race whatever like um and then i was actually planning on going home straight after that anyway because that was kind of like the week before australian champs and so i was like all right i'm in good shape i'm ready to roll and then everything just got canceled. I remember sitting in uh, one of my friend's hotel rooms and we're just like, there's no way this race happens. Like just hearing like hour by hour, like one team pulls out, another team pulls out, a conference pulls out, another conference pulls out. We're just like, they're not going to race NCAs with half the NCA here. Like yeah. there's no way this meet goes on. And then it was just like, so I guess it wasn't so much a surprise when it was actually finally announced. But like, even then it was like, this is what the last 12 months has been building up to. And it just kind of got canceled right now. Yeah. Like I was kind of bummed for that reason. But at the same time, it was like, 
I was in no different boat than all the other seniors. Mm -hmm. Um, And honestly, in hindsight, it ended up being kind of cool that SECs was my last race because it did go so well. Um, And I'm not saying that I would have run badly at NCAAs or anything like that, but, you know, like, it was, like, just kind of cool to to finish it on a really high note. Physically, were you... It's interesting the way training is structured sometimes where you want to peak, you know, at some of these championships, but you just don't know the nature of the race. It could end up being tactical. Did you feel like you had like maybe your best race ahead of you, like physically or, or what were you sort of thinking of the shape you were in for NCAAs that just never got to be shown off? Yeah, I do think I was in really good shape. Um, like I said, like SECs went so well and it was, it was more so the fact that I had run four races in two days and still felt strong at the end of my last race. Like, I think, I don't know exactly what my last 400 was in the 3K, but, like, SEC has gotten, like, pretty strong in mm-hmm. the distance stuff over the last couple of years, and so, like, I was really happy to be able to hold off a field as strong as it had been that year. Um, and so that was definitely a lot of confidence going into, like, NCAs. And granted, NCAs is a different ball game from from conference championship, but at the same time, it was, like, okay, this is my fourth race, fourth race in two days. Like I know I'm strong. I know I'm going to feel even better in two weeks when the week of SECs like didn't really kind of hold back that much. It was still Mm -hmm. like a pretty tough workout that, that Tuesday or Monday. I'm not sure what day it was. Um, but yeah, so I definitely got, went into it like expecting to be top three, hoping for the win kind of, kind of thing. Um, but yeah, cause I knew workouts have been going great. Races have been going great like the the month leading up to it we're a couple of minutes into this podcast and i have to sort of acknowledge the accent because everyone loves a good accent when they're <laughs> listening to to a podcast and particularly like listening to like a nick willis episode it's just like so soothing we've got i guess maybe the first australian accent on on this podcast so growing up in sydney sort of like what was that like and what is sort of like the athletics culture there knowing that you know it's not uh, they they have some pretty great athletes coming out of it. I mean, I think of like Jen Lacaz and uh, Ryan Gregson over the years. So th- there is sort of like a pipeline to the NCAA and, you know, the athletes do seem to thrive. But for you, what was your experience early on? Um, in Australia, I would say that it's a lot smaller um, in terms of the number of kids who try to run track. Like it's you you'll have like your school competition and so like everyone at your school will like run two or three races within a day like it's the times don't really matter it's Mm. all just kind of like people having fun kind of thing um but then once you get outside of the immediate school system and you get into the club system it's pretty serious like anyone who runs in the club programs are all very serious about like competing well competing fast um and just like doing like as well as they can it's not like i don't know exactly how the high school system is here because obviously i didn't go to high school in the u.s but i would say that it's a pretty different setup just because of the way that it's organized it's not organized through the school it's organized through clubs so how'd you land it uh at arkansas and sort of that first impression of fayetteville uh so i remember it was probably halfway through my senior year is where I like sent it, sent out a bunch of emails to everyone and like just kind of was seeing because I wasn't certain that I was going to the U.S. at this mm-hmm. point. I was like, 
you know, I might go to the US, I might not, I don't know. It's a good option to have, like, just to, to see what I can get. Um, school is really expensive in the US, though, compared to, comparatively. So I I'm was, sure. like, not certain. I was like, I don't know if I can put, like, that financial burden on my family kind of thing. Um, but I ended up visiting uh, early January. And if you know much about Sydney, it doesn't get cold. And <laughs> it wasn't super cold in Fayetteville when I visited. I think it was in the 40s or so but that was still like mm -hmm. a lot colder than i was used to i was just like this is this is not what i am i'm expecting uh so what sold you the team i i would say like i met all the guys and they were just like it was it just was so different from anything else like i actually went to high school with ollie hall mm -hmm. and so like he was obviously a good training partner um but like there was maybe two or three other guys who i would train with and it was just like the three or four of us at a time and like that was kind of my motivation to move to the u.s in general it's the fact that there was a team of 10 to 20 guys who were all super committed mm -hmm. obviously very talented worked super hard um and then arkansas was kind of like the epitome of that of the schools that i visited i was like okay like there's great facilities here the coach is got very similar philosophies to what i'm used to in high school so i know it's going to be a pretty good fit the team is insanely deep and like it was like it was just kind of a no-brainer at the end of the day it was like like this is the best place in the world for me to go to right now with a team that is rich in history with like john mcdonald and then you know with chris balkham like how did you go about sort of educating yourself a little bit about like the history of the, of that team that definitely came later. I didn't know that I <laughs> was getting into a program that was as deep as as Arkansas was. I I didn't actually know who John McDonald was until like a week into being in Fayetteville. And he's got a book that's like yes, I exactly. I, I, I've I figure, read the book since, but yeah, I figure I it's like the yeah. Bible yeah, like out there. Yeah, exactly. And that was like I remember even on my visit, like I went up to like I walked past like the number of Olympians, like they have like a a, a, a plaque with just like how many people they have sent to like each Olympics and every single one is like three to five, like different Olympians. I'm like, Oh, that's pretty cool. Like I didn't even really think about it. And mm -hmm. then like hearing about like the number of national titles that Arkansas had won, like within like the first two weeks of being on campus, I was like, okay, this is kind of cool. Like I didn't quite realize. And then obviously over the next year or so, I kind of figured out how the NCA worked, how the SEC worked. And like, came to realize how difficult it is to win an NCA title. I'm like, this is not just something that like any program can just go and do. Mm -hmm. And that definitely put into perspective just how impressive of a history Arkansas had had. How'd you fly under the radar this entire time? It's, it's just <laughs> the funniest thing for, for me to just like kind of think of. It's like when you got introduced to this team, I'm like, how have I not remembered who this guy was? Yeah. Um, I guess I've not like my PRs aren't great, like comparatively to how I finished at NCAs. Like I finished at NCAs, I finished third at NCAs twice now and and then eighth as an individual and sixth on the DMR and then was also a part of two different, uh, three different cross country teams that was sixth, fifth and fifth respectively. Mm -hmm. um, Definitely did not contribute to the first, the sixth place one, but the fifth place one, I think I was our third guy. And then the, maybe it was the second, fifth place one. I don't remember, but yeah, I don't know. Like a, my, my PRs definitely aren't 
as fast as a lot of the other guys out in the NCAs, but I guess I can just race those championship races when it comes down to it. And so how does that sort of make you a fit for this team that, that you just joined? I think it was kind of part of what uh, the guys saw in me was the fact that, like, okay, like, He's run 339, that's 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 decent. Like he's run uh, 749 in the 3K, like that's also pretty decent. Like it's definitely not the, the best time coming out of the NCA in any given year. Um, but like he's finished third twice. Like that's a lot more impressive. Um, and I think that, at least from my interpretation of their perspective, was that they kind of saw that, okay, he's got a lot more to give. Like, mm-hmm. like just because he hasn't run fast, doesn't necessarily mean he won't like the fact that he has finished successfully in championship races is a very good sign and holds just as much weight in their eyes at least i I think it does um as like a 337 or like a 745 equivalent kind of thing um but yeah is that the breakout you're sort of like waiting on is it that 337 or i think i could have i definitely could have run faster the past couple weeks um I did do it. I did run a couple of races. I ran a 340, feeling very comfortable, mm-hmm. um, and so that kind of fired me up to race again six days later, which I, in hindsight, don't think was a very smart thing to do. But you know, like at the same time, like I was just excited to race, mm-hmm. um, and so that was kind of my motivation to do it more so than anything. Um, but yeah, like definitely hoping to to run like a tr- truly fast time, like a 336, kind of like kind of equivalent. It's funny because like you enter sort of like the pro scene at such a interesting time where like money is just tight and mm-hmm. like there aren't contracts being floated yeah. around. It's sort of you have to earn your way to one of them. What do you think you have to prove sort of like to, to earn a contract at this point? Yeah, it's definitely like like that's kind of what my quote unquote resume is missing at the moment is like that that those fast times. Like I think if I get to the the starting line at Australian Champs, like I'm gonna do well there. It's just a matter of also running the standard at this mm-hmm. point. Um, yeah, so it's definitely like a get into some fast races, run some fast times kind of thing at this point. Obviously, I'm much more familiar with like the US scene, but at Australian Champs, like where do you see yourself like in that pecking order of, uh, you know, the already established pros and then like the up and comers? It's tough because, I mean, it also depends on who ra- who races which event. Mm-hmm. Like Stewie McSwain has run 331 this year. He just ran that the other day. Um, he's like also broken the Australian record in the 10 K. So like that dude's got so much range, like he could do either one. Yeah. Um, it kind of makes more sense for him to run the 5 K 10 K double, but who knows? Like you never know what people are going to run. Um, Morgan McDonald's kind of in a similar boat. Like he's a 337 guy in his own right. Definitely could run faster than that in my opinion, but he's also a crazy fast 5 K runner. Obviously he's had loads of success in the NCA. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously Ollie Hawes. is, 334 guy recently can probably run quicker than that as well um there's matt ramsden there's no easy event yeah exactly (laughs) like unless i go up to the the 10k like (laughs) which i am not planning on doing anytime soon um yeah it's just it's australia's pretty deep at the moment like the olympics and that kind of stuff like how much of it is it a pipe dream for you right now it's definitely a goal um i think any professional runner would be stupid not to say that Mm -hmm. you know like you don't run professionally if you're just like oh you know like make the Australian yeah (laughs) yeah, you know uh (laughs) yeah like I think it's been kind of this weird process where it's slowly and gradually become more of a 
reality that it's a possibility. Um, like I, I remember in like second grade or something at my primary school, we had this uh, Australian Olympian come in and talk about how he got the silver medal at like it was in like sailing or something. And I had no idea who this guy was, uh, but I was like, oh, wow, that'd be really cool to be an Olympian. Like, this guy's famous. Like, I don't know who he is, but I'm sure he's famous. Yeah. Um, and that was kind of like, wow, it'd be really cool to be an Olympian. Um, and then I kind of, my running journey starts really young. I started running cross-country races in third grade and just like kind of always did that. And then was okay in like ninth grade i was like oh you know like i run i enjoy it it's mm -hmm. fun it's fun to race i'm okay at it and i'm like the best in my school but that doesn't really mean anything like and then like kind of gradually got better and i was like oh wow like i won the australian youth champs like that's that's pretty cool like i'm still really far away from the olympics but like maybe if i keep progressing and then obviously moved to the u.s had success in the in the u.s i'm like wow like my times is still like kind of far off but mm -hmm. like definitely a lot closer than they than they were in the past and then like now i think i'm f just over four seconds off the 1500 standard which is still a fair way in the 1500 but at the same time it's just like it's just been this gradual climbing of this ladder that is mm -hmm. like it's almost it's almost attainable which has been like kind of cool to experience firsthand I mean, Olympian would be a great way of shaking off the fact that you're apparently the 12th picture result on Google Images for steeplechase fail. Yeah, that's true. That was my claim to fame for the longest time until I had any success on the track. What's the story behind the photo? Uh, my coach at the time, I think I was in, I think I was 15. So what, like eighth grade, ninth grade? Mm -hmm. uh, he was like, yeah, you know, like just try the steeple. Like it was at uh, the state champs, like... There was eight people in the race. Actually, there might have only been six, but it was a 2K steeple. I was pretty lanky. Have you hurdled before? I did hurdle training in like fifth grade, like just for fun, just because I enjoyed running track. Um, and so I was like, you know what? Like, I'll try the steeple, whatever. Like, it, it'll be fine. Um, super nervous. Got over the first three okay. And then the fourth one, I like didn't run up to it correctly. And like, my spike slipped and just dove straight into the water head first and my mom was playing around with her new camera that she bought and was like oh you know i'll try sport mode like and then just got like this <laughs> this caption of like six photos of me just coming up to the hurdle one foot on the hurdle my other leg hitting the hurdle me diving into the water and then me like coming out looking like a swamp rat like it was just like <laughs> this hilarious like picture of this like sequence of pictures that my mom would never forget. Well, if she captured it, it didn't have to end up on the internet. How does it end up there? I posted it. I was, <laughs> I was proud of it. That was like my claim to fame. I was like, I'm absolutely posting the crap out of this. Like, this is my favorite photo ever. And I remember, uh, I was like just starting to get serious about running and I wasn't good by any means at this point, like a couple of years later. And I had just like changed training groups, which my coach was like also a part of. Mm -hmm. And it was just like more people to train with kind of thing. And I was like meeting the new like training partners or whatever. And they were like a couple of years older than me. And like, I like, was doing the workout with them or whatever. And then the workout gets done and I'm like, wait, you're the steeplechase kid. I was like, <laughs> yeah, that's me. Like it went like viral within like Australian youth athletics. And I was like, yeah, that's me. That's my claim to fame. <laughs> that's hilarious. Are you done with the steeple? I haven't run it. I ran one steeple since and it was like two years later. And then I'm like, no, not doing it anymore. <laughs> So how have you taken to Tom Schwartz's training uh, so far? 
I really like it. Um, I definitely feel a lot stronger uh, aerobically than I ever have in my life. Um, and I think that is definitely uh, a testament to how good he is at keeping the the speed and the strength at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's, it's never one or the other in a workout. Like we'll do like three minute CV reps and then we'll do uh, like 30 second hill sprints. And like the, the hill sprints are meant to be like just as important as the CV reps. And so I do really like that kind of stuff because I feel like a lot of coaches kind of let their athletes get away from one or the other at any mm-hmm. point in a season. Um, so yeah, I, f- I feel like I do pretty well under it. I've been healthy, knock on wood. Uh, had a really good race the other week, felt comfortable doing it. Um, obviously, I've only been here for six, seven weeks now, but like I'm excited to see what I can do long-term under it. Yeah, I mean, being one second off your 15 PR after just quarantine in general must be mm-hmm. a, like a great sign. Yeah, absolutely. I was I was really happy to see that. Um, and it was like my season opener as well, so that was super exciting. Uh, but yeah, like it was, it was really encouraging, more so how I felt than the time. I remember coming up with 600 to go being like, I feel like we're hitting the brakes. Like I wanted to get around and I was just like boxed in a little bit and I was like, let's go, let's go, let's go. And then, uh, <laughs> with 400 to go, I finally like, I passed someone on the inside at like 450, got to the front at 400 to go and like jumped to get around someone and then took off with a lap to go like it was definitely the not the most like energy efficient way of doing it but it it got me around and then obviously ran a time i was pretty happy with but yeah um before we get to the final questions i've never done this with someone but um i guess i've got your prs here i guess off the the tin man website um and i want to run through them and you tell me like which one like in order which ones you want to take down like uh or might be the like in order like what which ones you'd like to take a shot at for like first so mm-hmm. we've got your 800 which is stood since 2016 150 19 1500 339 86 from brian clay last year the mile 359 68 razorback invitational that must have been pretty cool to do like on your own home track yeah, cool, yeah. And then 3K, 749, 78 from Husky, 2018. So of those, assessing just that body of work so far, what, what do you want to take down first? Oh, that's tough. Um, I've got to start with the 800. That thing, I've been sitting at 150 point something for like five years now. Honestly, I think it's been longer. I think I ran 150.4 uh, like... I think I was either 18 or 19 when I did it and I like wanted to break 150 so bad for so long and I remember running uh racing my freshman year running 150.1 I mean like damn like come on like I got so close again like it's just kind of been this thing that I've just been sitting on for so long and now granted I don't run a whole lot of 800s just because I'm more of a strength based Mm -hmm. 1500 meter runner but like I want to break it and I I almost broke it in practice the other day we really we did did it here at altitude yeah and I ran 150.6, like, pretty conservatively. Like, and so that was really encouraging. Take the conversion. Yeah, yeah exactly. Take the conversion. <laughs> that's, that's 149 in my books. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, all right. Final questions I ask every guest. First one, what's the funniest drug testing story you've got? I have never been drug tested outside of my college. But, like, 
University of Arkansas would drug test every once in a while. And I've, I got it three times. The first time uh, was fine. Like, peed normal. straight away. It was normal. <laughs> it was fine. Whatever. But the second time, I just did not need to go at all. And I ended up being there for like two hours. And then I missed like two of my classes. Because really? like I just could not pee at all. And it was just like, I was like stressed about missing my classes. And then I was like stressed about not being able to pee. And I was just like, oh, this you is couldn't so bring us to class. No, no, no. You had to. Yeah. It wow. was just like, like, yeah, it was just, it was just <laughs> so embarrassing. <laughs> and then the third time I rem- I like drank so much water the day before. As soon as I found out, I was like, I'm not going to have the same issue again. And luckily I didn't, I was like still uh what is it the specific gravity was still fine mm-hmm. like it wasn't yeah. too dilute um but yeah i was a little worried about that just like having to stick around again but yeah meanest thing you've read about yourself on let's run.com meanest thing is there an australian version of let's run i don't think so um i haven't spent a whole lot of time on let's run i think honestly i've read more mean things about tin man than <laughs> like than myself personally uh, nothing specific at least nothing specific comes to mind yeah because um, I mean I, I did a quick search beforehand just to see like if there was anything uh-huh. and you know, the only thing was is like Tin Man gets you know Cam Griffith and like he's a 339 guy let's see how they mess this up yeah that was the only <laughs> thing <laughs> yeah I mean like stuff like that's just standard on Let's Run like you know like it's kind of like just comes with being yeah. like in the spotlight you know like it's if you can't take that then it's like just try and avoid it as much as yeah. possible but like it really doesn't affect me at all like i don't really really care like right. i'm just here to do what i can do and i'm gonna run as fast as i can and try and make some olympic teams if you could go on a run anywhere in the world with anyone from history assuming they could hold a nice conversational pace with you they don't have to be a runner who would this be and where would it take place Ooh. i am a sucker for running up mountains um especially when you start to get like philosophical so I think, uh, I don't know if you know who Stephen Fry is. He's a, he's a British do. comedian, really intelligent guy. Um, not a runner by any means. Uh, but assuming he could run and have a conversation with me, I think that would be a really cool conversation. Where would the, where would the run be? Uh, it would have to be up a mountain, but... I don't really have a specific mountain in mind. Just cool. kind of anything that ends with a nice view. And what's the what's the best running spot in, in Australia? Um, you can go to Falls Creek. That's where all the guys yeah. do their uh, their altitude training. Um, Is that the Boulder of Australia? Pretty much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've never actually been there though. I've been really? I've been close by. I've been to a place called Jindabyne, which is like the the northern side of like that mountain range. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, I don't even think it's really considered altitude. I think it's like uh, I think you run at like 4,000 feet, maybe mm. 5,000 you might get up to, but it's like really not like nothing like flag stuff. Or yeah, like yeah. It's not like 7,000 or anything like that. Um, there is a, the, there's a park in Sydney called Centennial Park that is like the place to do long runs on Sunday mornings. Okay. Uh, you'll see like anyone who's a runner in Sydney we'll go there on Sunday morning. So that's kind of a cool place. Like you just see everyone and, and anyone who's in the running world around there. Sweet. Uh, last one is got nothing to do with running. It's you get 25 shots from half court. If you make one, you win $25 million. If you don't make any, you go to jail for 25 years. Would you attempt the shots? How long do you have? 25 shots. 
Oh, for jail? 25 years. Oh, you can do this. There's, there's no time period? There's no time limit. Oh, I'd take it. Yeah? I so mean, far, I all of your teammates have said yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I guess that's kind of like being an athlete. You're like, yeah, yeah, I could get one of those. Yeah, I could drain it. Cam, I appreciate you doing this. Like, this is uh, a lot of fun getting to know you, and I'm looking forward to seeing more races uh, from you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I had a lot of fun, too. Thanks to the Tin Men for having me over at their place and chatting that afternoon in August. I hope you guys enjoyed our conversation and took away the overarching message that you're not done when you exhaust your time in the NCAA or in high school. You keep grinding, keep chasing PRs. No one can tell you it's time to hang it up. You decide that yourself, and there's always more to get after. I'll be getting after it this Friday night, October 2nd. The backline trial of miles, night of the 5K. I'm going after mile PR. No guarantees on sub five, but we're going to go for it and see just how close I can get. Legs are feeling good. Don Cabral, Ali Kiefer, Sydney Mascarelli, lots more people competing. Tune in 7 p.m. on the Sidious Mag YouTube page. It's free. Free live stream. Can't complain. Friday night track under the lights. You can find all the entries and streaming information over on SidiousMag.com. This week, if you were subscribed to the Sidious Mag newsletter, you got my comprehensive London Marathon preview. 2 a.m. this Sunday morning, Kipchoge vs. Bekele, Bridget Cosgay, Molly Seidel, Jared Ward. If you missed my preview, don't let that happen again. Subscribe at SidiousMag.substack.com. Literally takes 10 seconds. Lots more resources in the show notes, including a link to our sponsor, Backline Running. Grab one of their shirts or sweaters. You'll see me rocking the Futures Female Coaches shirt, whether it's one that says that, Runners Hustle Harder, Lactic Acid Trip. Check it all out. All of their designs, backline.nyc. Use code Sidious for 15% off. And if you enjoyed this episode, want to shout us out on your Instagram stories, tag Sidious Mag, tag Tin Man Elite. I'll, we'll be sure to repost it. That, along with leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, allows new people to discover the show. That's all I've got. I'm your host, Chris Chavez, wishing you some happy and healthy running. Once again, legs are feeling good. See you again next week.